We're going to look at a verse here today that is beyond our understanding. We're going to look at what we can understand about that verse, especially in light of Ascension Thursday. You know, 40 days after Easter, we're told plainly, Acts chapter 1, that Jesus was seen by the apostles over a 40-day period. He spoke about matters concerning the kingdom of God. And then, of course, Luke tells us the same thing. When Jesus led them to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And then Acts chapter 1, verse 9, it tells us when he was taken up into heaven before their eyes, there were two angels that appeared and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. If you go back to the third century, the, the creeds that are written by the church, this is one of the focuses that is very important there. The creed, of course, says that he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Charles Wesley you know, wrote a hymn that shares these words, Him though highest heaven receives, still he loves the earth he leaves. Though returning to his throne, still he calls mankind his own. You know, Ascension Thursday, it doesn't you know, register for most people, you know, we think about big days like Christmas and Easter on the calendar as far as biblical events. But 40 days after Easter is the ascension of Christ. And it's usually recognized on Thursday. And so it's a tremendous moment in history that we're going to see here a verse that talks about that. And keeping in mind, Paul says, we see things through a, a glass darkly. One day we'll see face to face. And what's shared in this verse is so compelling beyond our understanding, but we can understand partially looking through that glass darkly. And what we can understand, I believe, will compel us to say at a whole different level, I want to live my life for Christ. I was reading a, a book by Nellie Galen. She shared kind of her, her life story. She reached the pinnacle of success as far as a TV career, became a producer, did very well. She was on different series and she shared something long before anything happening now. She wrote the book about three years ago, so it's not in the context here uh, about the, the pandemic, but it's just in the idea of pursuing goals, living life at a different level. A great statement. She said, sacrifice is not the same as suffering. You know, sacrifice is what we willingly do for a greater purpose. Suffering, though, is when you feel powerless to make a difference or to change things. You know, sacrifice is something that we are called to do in Christ to, to be that person to say, let me go beyond what is expected. We're going to keep looking at this picture, though, of that call and why we are compelled to be sacrificial as we live our life, giving up things like our ego, our own selfish desires, things me, that we may want in the moment for sacrificing so somebody else might receive what they need rather than what we want. We'll see a tremendous example of that here in just a few moments. But I love what else Nellie Galen shares. She had already reached you know, this top of the career working in television, and she had a mentor that about eight years ago shared a, a great statement. She had just completed a TV series, and this mentor said, why aren't you doing something bigger with your life? Again, as the career that she had been in, she already reached all the goals. This person knew that's not what she really wanted to do. Why aren't you doing something bigger with your life? At 50, she shared, I really want to go back to school, 
get a degree, start a business. And so she did. And she shared about the challenges of that. You know, she's 50. Now she's a freshman. She was at the top of the ladder. Now she's starting fresh. Professors criticize her work, but she stayed at it. And she started a business. Now she's a writer. She's a speaker. She mentors other people to, to pursue their dreams. But it's a great question for each of us. Why aren't you doing something bigger with your life? Especially when we look at where scripture points to where everything's going. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says this in verse 10, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so each of us may receive what is due for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Matthew, of course, chapter 6, Jesus talks about store up treasures in heaven. Paul in Ephesians says one day the Lord will reward us each for the good that we have done. The context here is not about sin. That's not what is being discussed here. Your sin, if you're in Christ, has been paid for once for all. What is being talked about here is one day we all appear before Christ and rewards are given or they're taken away depending on how we have lived our life. Now, Paul says things done in the body, whether good or bad. That translation there, could just as easily be as Holman and International Standard translated, whether good or worthless. The bad there is not evil, because again, sin is not what is being discussed here, but it is about how we live our life, pursuing things that are good or pursuing things that are worthless. Whole different understanding when we stop and say, do I pursue what is worthless? Do I pursue that which is taking up my time that shouldn't, taking up my energy that shouldn't? You know, John Milton in the 1600s wrote Paradise Lost, believed to be maybe the greatest piece of literature written, 10,000 lines, an epic poem, but John Milton eventually went blind. And after he lost his sight, he said this, I do not complain of my want of sight in the night with which I am surrounded by the light of the divine presence and it shines a more brilliant luster. John Milton said, In the darkness I see the light even more clearly. In his place where he felt weak, he was stronger than ever because he could see that God was working in his life. And he was compelled to say, Let me put away worthless things. Let me show you an example of this, a challenge again to see that sometimes there's a sacrifice we're called to make to put away those worthless things. And we'll see again why in the picture of the ascension, this is so important. If you go back to 1960, Adolf Coors, the founder of the Coors Company, multimillionaire, he was kidnapped. Seven months later, unfortunately, his, he was found and he had been murdered. His son, Adolf Coors Jr., was 15 at the time, shared that I didn't lose just my father, I lost my best friend. For years, Adolf Kors hated the man who took his father's life. That man's name was Joseph Corbett. Corbett received a life sentence for the crime. However, 15 years after the events, Adolf Kors became a believer. He shared, now I'm a Christian, but I still have this hatred for Corbett, the man who killed my dad. He said that hatred consumed him. And so one day, he decided... He needed to put this to rest. He went to the maximum security prison, Colorado's Cannon City Prison, to see Joseph Corbett. 
He would share that Corbett refused to see him. So he wrote a note, put it in a Bible, left it with the guards. The guards gave it to Joseph Corbett. Here's what Adolph Kors Jr. wrote on that note. I want to forgive you for what you did to my family. And I ask your forgiveness for the hatred we've had for you all these years. Again, there's a difference between sacrifice and suffering. Sacrifice is when we willingly lay down our life for another. Suffering, when we feel helpless to make a change. In Christ, though, we know we are never helpless. So let's look at something here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10, what we can understand about this verse, and I'll read some commentaries about that. We don't understand completely the statement here, but enough of it makes sense, again, to know the glory of who Christ is. Ephesians 4.10, we read this. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Or some translations read, He ascended far above all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Let me read some understandings of what this verse means, what we can grasp. And I would say I agree with each thing said here, but understanding again, we see through a glass darkly. We understand as much as we can with our own human wisdom. H.D. Spence shares this. Jesus has gone on high to pour his glory and excellence on every creature in the universe who is the subject of grace to be the light of the world, the one source of all good. Adam Clark, that he might be the fountain whence all blessing might flow, dispensing all good things to all his creatures. Albert Barnes, he might fill all things by his influence. Grant Richardson may mean that Jesus returned to his sovereign theocratic rule over the universe. Daniel Haben said this, he ascended to heaven's throne to rule over all things, even the little details in our lives. Christopher Holdsworth says the head of the church, he's already the head of the world, whether the world acknowledges him or not. I think perhaps Ellicott put it best who said the words are too wide for any limitation. What we can understand here is the picture being painted. When people say, you know, Jesus was a man, they have missed it by a, a eternal mile. Because the reality is, he is God in the flesh. He is the word made flesh. He is the king of kings. He's the first, the last, the alpha, the omega. And when he ascended, he didn't just conquer death, hell, and the grave. We're told he ascended far above all the heavens and now fills the entire universe. And again, this is why we talk about that evil does not win. I know there's people out there that have that belief and there's sermons about that, that things are going to get worse and worse. But again, he ascended. He fills all things. He's reigning to bring all things under his feet. He is the one that has the victory. 70,000 people a day commit their lives to Christ. We have to keep in mind, you know, it's that saving grace and recognizing Jesus as the king that is the motivation for that daily living in him, our godly living, our commitments to holiness. Knowing that, again, no matter what we face, we serve the one who ascended far above all the heavens, yet he still knows the very number of hairs on our head. That's why we are compelled to say, I want to be the one, when I stand before him, I put away those, those worthless things. Let me read something from the Old Testament here that is one of the favorite titles given to God. You know, again, 
you read through scripture 7,000 times, we're told that the personal name of God is Yahweh. The word Jesus means Yahweh saves. So it's a picture here is a title that people would give. God is a title. Things like God Almighty, that's a title. But there's a favorite title that people did use in the Old Testament. You know, it's very common for one title was God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the original patriarchs. You won't read, though, the God of Isaac. There are times discussing the God of Abraham, Abraham, the the father of faith. But here's the favorite title in the Old Testament. I'll just give you an example. Psalm 146, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. The God of Jacob. Why is that title so popular? If you don't know Jacob's story, he was simply one of the most dysfunctional people of all time. His life was a mess. He betrayed people, lied to people, deceived his family, including his father. He did all these things, betraying people for his own selfish gain. When he met the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh asked him about his life, and Jacob admitted, my life has been days that are few, but a whole lot of pain. And most of that pain was brought on by Jacob himself. But why is the title God of Jacob so popular? Because each of us can identify with making a mess of things, sin in our life. And even though Jacob did all of that betrayal, lie, sin, deceit, he was especially loved by God and had a special purpose and a plan that is used by God. And that's why people said, I can identify with the God of Jacob, the one that I can pray, that can look at my life and see I've made a mess of things, but he still loves me, still laid down his life for me, still says, you know, the one over the entire universe has me in his very heart. That's why God of Jacob is so popular. You know, you go back and look at people like William Tyndale in the 1500s serving Christ to say, let me put away worthless things. Tyndale translated scripture in a common language, something illegal, because the king and some religious leaders didn't want people to know what the Bible said. And so Tyndale, at the risk of his life, translated scripture in a common language. He was arrested, given a death sentence. Before he was burned at the stake, a religious leader asked him about what he did and why did he do this. And Tyndale said, this. If God spare my life, I will cause the boy that drives the plow to know more of scripture than you do. I love Gary Collins. He shares this though. How would you finish Tyndale's statement? If God spare my life, how would you fill in the blank? What would you most like to see happen? Terry Sisney is an evangelist He writes something just beautiful here. Let me just read what he shares. Anybody can put on a pretty praise when the battle's over. Anybody can praise God when the sickness is healed. Anybody can praise God when the marriage is restored and the family is mended. Anybody can praise God when you've got a good retirement, money in your wallet, and money in the bank. But I'm telling you, it takes something to shout in the face of the devil. It takes something to praise in the face of the doctor's bad report. It takes something to shout when you don't have two nickels to rub together. It takes something when you're going through the fire to lift your hands and lift your voice and say, I will praise him. Start where you're at. The psalmist declared, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. 
Don't wait till the battle's over. Shout now. Start in the dark with the walls closing in on you. Start where you are laying in that hospital bed. Start where you are at the bottom of that pit. Start where you are in the middle of your pain. Start where you are in the inner prison at midnight. Declare, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my lips. When we recognize that Jesus ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things, that he might fill the whole universe, when we stop and say, you know, sacrifice is what I'm called to do, it's a whole different thing than suffering, which is the idea I'm helpless and hopeless to make a difference. May we be compelled to say, because he rose, because he declared it is finished, because he reigns over the entire universe, but knows the very number of hairs on my head, I will praise him. Let me close with an example of sacrifice and holiness and grace. One who is compelled to serve because Christ laid down his life and took it back up again. Linda Dillow shares about a friend named Krista and a book that she wrote about relationships. Krista's husband was a surgeon in Iraq during the war. He was spending six months overseas and then he'd get two weeks leave back in the U.S., go to Iraq for six months, get two weeks leave. Six months in, Krista gets a letter with the date of her husband's leave. She's excited. She shares, now we can spend some time together. We can get some things done around the house. He can help me with the kids. But she stopped and said, but what does my husband want? She stopped and prayed and asked God, how can I fill up my husband's spirit, soul, and body so he can go back to war for another six months. She said they arrived at the airport with the kids. There was a celebration. They went to dinner. But then they dropped the kids off at a babysitter. She took her husband home. She drew a warm bath. He got in. She sat on the edge of the tub with a sponge. I'll read her words about what happens next. This is what holiness looks like. This is what sacrifice, putting aside what we want, looks like. This is what saying, I serve the one who is the king of kings that reigns over the entire universe, yet knows the very number of hairs on my head. Krista writes this. I sat on the tub with a sponge and began to cleanse the smell of war. And as I washed the odor of war away, I prayed to cleanse his soul from the spirit of death and destruction. I washed his head and hair and I prayed, Lord, let nothing he has thought harm him. As I wiped his eyes, I prayed, Lord, let nothing he has seen stay in his heart. As I washed his ears, I prayed, Lord, let nothing he has heard touch his spirit. I washed and prayed, begging God that nothing would take root, that all evil would be washed away. Krista would share they spent the next two weeks just in worship, sharing love, family time together. When her husband went back to Iraq, she received another letter, and that letter said, thank you for the best two weeks of my life. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things in order to fill the whole universe. 
when they were told we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and he will look at our life. Do we do good things or worthless things? May we stop and answer, why aren't you? Why aren't I? Doing something bigger with our life. How are we going to fill in the blank if God spare my life? What is it that I want to see truly happen? What is it that I'm willing to give up? A sacrifice of praise. Let me declare now that his name, his glory, the worship of Christ be ever on our lips. Whether we find ourselves in the valley or on the mountaintop, whatever it may be that we step back and say, listen, things may be difficult, things may be challenging, but we serve a risen Savior who has ascended on high above all the heavens. His glory fills the entire universe, yet he knows the hair, everyone on our head. So may we be compelled to live our life for him attempting greater things that he might receive all glory, all honor, and all praise.